As a cardiologist, I've spent my entire career looking after people's hearts, but that got turned upside down in 2005, when by complete chance, I was involved in the roadside resuscitation of a man in his early 50s who was participating in a fun run. That man had a heart attack and dropped dead by the side of the road. Fortunately, we got his heart beating again and he did fine. But I found out several days later, I'd seen the very same man some 18 months earlier and I'd given him a clean bill of health. Shocked, I went back and looked at the notes to try and understand what had happened. It turned out that by local and international guidelines at the time, I'd done everything right for him. I'd put all these details through a risk calculator and I'd said to him, look, your risk of a heart attack in the next five years is only 6%. In fact, you get a green thermometer, you should be fine. I sent him on his merry way, only to be standing over his dead body some 18 months later. Clearly, something is wrong here. My name is Dr. Warwick Bishop. I'm a cardiologist. I'm CEO of the Healthy Heart Network, and I'm about helping people live as well as possible for as long as possible through good medical education. See, that was good. All right, so for anyone that's listening, this was a second. Okay, I had to make the, the good doctor say it one more time because he was a little bit like I go, oh, kind of like kind of complacent in regards to what he was saying. So um, reasoning wise, because He's very, very far away and it's early morning for him. So he woke up early. So I'm very, very excited. But um, before we even talk about what you do, I always tell people talk about who you are, where you came from. So before the doctor, before the company, let's start at the beginning of where you are, where you're from. So that way people can understand why you're up so early. I'm uh, in Hobart, Tasmania. Tasmania is the island that sits off the southern uh, coastline of Australia. So I'm, I'm literally down under, down under. Uh, we, uh, we live in a beautiful spot. Uh, I'm close to water, which is just wonderful. The, um, the place or the area is where I've grown up and my kids have grown up here. I think it's just a wonderful opportunity. The climate is um, seasonal, so it's temperate. Uh, at the moment, we should be in summer, but I'm wearing a jumper. We've been cheated this year. Uh, the uh, My background is that I really was educated here, grew up here, went away for a number of years and um, made my way back after my training and um, set up home. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rewind a little bit back. So um, I used to live in Australia. Um, I was like a bum. I was a total beach bum. So I had a friend that I met in the States. And my favorite thing was, Jody, if you're ever in, you should come and visit. And I'm like, it's always my in. So I go, so um, Brad lived in Sydney. And so I'm like, I go, I'm going to like, I bought that, like worked really hard, got my ticket. And it was also, there was a, there was a program called Facts of Life years ago. And this young woman was at the opera house and I watched it. I'm like, wouldn't it be amazing to be at the opera house just to see an opera? And my mother's like, Oh, for the love of God, she's going to do it. And I did. I worked every single job to get to Australia. And I was there for a year. And I just basically went from Canberra and always going just like just beach bum. Spend the most time in Byron Bay. Byron Bay. And my best friend, Melissa, she lives, she's from Wollongong. And she and I dated twins that were from Byron Bay. And so that's my beautiful place. And my my, my and because one town that I love the most, um, my car is called Kayama. 
because the town of Kayama, where I adore, because um, I want to name my child that, and everyone's like, you can't name your child Blowhole, which is because Kayama has this big, huge blowhole in the ocean. So my Australia story, I love, 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 love your country so much. If it wasn't so far away from my heart and souls of my family, my friends, I would have just been there forever. It is a place where family, friends are number one before careers and things like that. And so the environment, the healthiness, I just, you are in the best place on the planet. I'm just going to say that right now. And I'm from the islands. I'm first generation born in America. And I've told people over and over and over again, Australia, although my friends that are in New Zealand get so mad when I say that, but my Kiwis will understand, but literally you are by far in one of the most amazing places on this planet. So kudos on that one. When you left Tasmania, because Tasmania is like, I live in a town called Marblehead. Same thing. We're on the ocean. I'm looking out the window, looking at the ocean. Um, when you left Tasmania, was it because everyone leaves or like, what, I mean, what was the purpose of you leaving a place that you were born, raised, and this was your everything? Look, I think uh, most people leave wherever they grow up just to explore the world and to a large degree, Tasmania we are at the end of a dead-end road. You have to go out of your way to get here. Uh, it's small. And, um, you know, as a, a young man who'd qualified with my medical degree, I wanted to uh, try and explore other places. I actually went to Darwin, believe it or not, which is okay. the uh, city, for those who are listening, it's the city at the other end of Australia. It's the, at the very north of Australia. Mm -hmm. And I went from a place which is pretty cold, we sometimes get snow, uh, to stepping off the plane in Darwin, uh, finding uh, green tree frogs in the shower, uh, a place where there's crocodiles. Uh, and it was just, it was like, uh, it was like stepping into the tropical room at the botanical gardens. It was a fantastic <laughs> contrast. So, uh, so you know, I spent a bit of time just checking out other places. And you know as well as I do, Jody. Sometimes you don't appreciate what you've got until you step away from it. So uh, it was just a bit of growing up and 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 checking out other places for me. But look, I'll add in there. I'm, I'm deeply grateful uh, for your appreciation of of my country. Um, but I have to say, on the times I've visited the US, I've loved it myself. <laughs> um, it is a fantastic place. I've been, uh, having been someone who never really thought I'd get to the US because I've seen so much of it on TV, of course, I know what it's like already. Um, I ended up for work reasons going to the US and I've been at least half a dozen times now. Every time I'm so warmly welcomed by people. I love the way you guys do things. You're so logical. Um, you're <laughs> polite. You're organised. Um, I've, I've had such a good time. I could live in the Smithsonian Museum's <laughs> several weeks they are insane uh, but the country is huge uh, from one coast to the other it's it's just amazing you know just even driving around California into Arizona and Phoenix magnificent uh, contrast so um, Wait, have you been I to think, Boston have you been to Boston yet I've not been to Boston oh. no as a as a cardiologist, Mass General Hospital. Yeah, yeah, no, I know all of you. You have yeah, to come. You have to come. Oh my goodness gracious, you have to come. So when this whole entire pandemic thing is over, we you, you have to come because it is. I mean, I mean, I'm biased. We have the best hospitals in Boston, in Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, world renowned. 
Um, yes. And it really proved after the marathon bombing was total proof because literally other than the people that got killed at the location, everyone survived because of the hospitals that we have. So you have, as a car- cardiologist, you have to come. Yeah, no, I know. It's a, you're, Boston is well known for its medical institutions. It's on my list. <laughs> okay, good. Very, very good. All right. So, so how do I mean, so you, you left for how many years did you leave? Oh, probably a decade, close okay. to a decade. Why did you decide to become a cardiologist of all things? Is that in your family? Oh, look, this I could talk for hours on this, but very quickly, uh, when I was a young fellow at uh, school, I was very good at uh, physics and drawing, and I thought I would be a draftsman or an architect or an engineer. Um, I had the chance to do work experience. It's where as a young kid, you get to go and sit in the office or work with people in an area where you might have a sense of interest. I got to do work experience with civil engineers. Now, I know nothing about engineering, but civil engineering happened to be building uh, retaining walls and drainage ditches. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Um, And these guys, I must have come in a bad run because several weeks on my work experience, we were designing retaining walls, drainage ditches, sitting in a fairly dark office, drinking coffee from dirty cups. And it, and it just didn't grab me, actually. I came home and I said to my dad, I don't think I can do engineering. Of course, um, I saw an incredibly narrow a- a- aspect of it. I didn't see mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, aeronautical engineering, I, just so much I didn't see. So... Um, and, and plus these guys, I didn't get out on the field trips with them. So I just had a very distorted view. But I said, look, I can't do this. Um, my dad said, we can't afford to send you to uni to just find yourself. So if you you know, want to do something with a degree at the end, fine. Otherwise, you know, go and get a job. I had the marks to get into medicine. Uh, I signed up, didn't think I'd get in. After I went away for a long bushwalk, my mum greeted me because she was good enough to open my mail for me at that stage and tell me that I got into medicine, which was uh, fantastic. I uh, bumped along, did that for many years. Wait, 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 and- wait, wait. You're, you're, no, see, you're passing over. Were you mind? I mean, you went from being an engineer, drinking coffee out of a dirty mug to like, hey, look, I'm in medical school. What? <laughs> were you not just mind blown by that? Or you're, better yet, your dad, was he probably like, what's happening here? Look, I just seemed, um, there were twists in the road that seemed to work okay. There was nothing, I, I didn't, there are people you'll meet and I've got colleagues who when they were children, they knew they wanted to be a cardiothoracic yeah. surgeon or a neurosurgeon, not me. I was just, I was always been interested in stuff, but I thought I'd have a more, well, I thought I'd be in a more construction or mechanical sort of background. But but medicine, I, as I got into it, um, Jody, I found it insanely interesting. I mean, it, it for all the hard work, it, it's a magnificently astounding thing to be able to learn. It's like fantastic. So I, I bumped along. I, I decided through my training that I didn't want to be a surgeon, just the politics of working in theatres seemed too much for me. Um, For various reasons, I didn't want to do psychiatry. Um, And I sort of leant towards doing internal medicine, which is understanding how drugs work, understanding how diseases work, managing people without surgery, basically. So someone who has asthma needs a physician 
uh, someone who's got a ruptured appendix needs a surgeon to cut it out. So I was mm -hmm. more in treating people with drugs. And I got into that training program to be a, a specialist physician. I was so excited about it and then went through uh, basically different areas of medicine. So hematology, which is blood disorders. I was very excited about that and uh, thought I'd be a hematologist because it was like, you know, anemia here and blastocytosis here and bone marrows here and look at that. And this is true, actually. I was so excited. And we used to do the ward rounds when the slides of the bone marrow or the blood were put up on the screen. And the um, professors and the leaders, the, the senior doctors would be talking about the characteristics of these pathology slides to describe what was going on. And they'd talk about, you know, degranulation and magenta staining and brown this and so well it turned out I'm actually colorblind oh. so I was so I was looking at these uh you know blotches on the screen oh. I, I had no idea what I was looking at actually so um so hematology went to the wayside I tried all sorts of other bits and pieces figured out I couldn't genuinely ask people on a regular basis how are their bowel actions so I <laughs> So I sidestepped gastroenterology. At the time, we couldn't do much for people with rheumatoid arthritis. We've got fantastic treatments now. But at the time, we really could only give people large doses of steroids. And I thought, this, is, uh, this doesn't feel like it's helping people. It feels really like it's a bandage. Um, neurology, which is issues with the nerves, incredibly interesting. But again, at the time, we often didn't have stuff to help. I remember we went to a grand round, which is, you know, all these doctors in a room and the professor with a patient who is a young woman and the professor presented everything that was wrong with this person. Mm -hmm. And, and I put up my hand, this is a rare condition, actually. I put up my hand and said, uh, prof, prof, what's the treatment? And the prof said, Oh, there's no treatment. It's just interesting. And, and that, and that struck me actually. I went, Oh, I can't do this. You know, this is, no, and well, anyway, I bumped into cardiology and cardiology at the time was in shades of grey and I could deal with shades of grey. There was no colour requirement. So being colourblind didn't impact me. But most excitingly, I was there as we were bringing into practice the drugs that open up arteries when someone's had a heart attack, the clot-busting drugs, streptokinase. And around that time, we were also starting to put in balloons and it was fabulously exciting. You know, you'd go down to accident and emergency, people sweaty with chest pain, clearly a big heart attack. We'd give them these drugs and, you know, two hours later, they'd be sitting up looking like real people again. Unbelievably exciting. And honestly, I just got caught up in it from there. Um, just because I'm being so naive to this, being colorblind when you're dealing with the heart, um, the valves, does that help you, hurt you? Does it, it doesn't matter, okay? No difference. Okay, all right. Because that was like one of the things where I'm like, well, does that even affect you? Um, one of my dreams, like literally, so I have a I have bucket list. I have the OMG list and I have the holy shit that will never happen list. I only have four things on that, on the, the last list. And one of them is to massage a human heart. Yeah, right. Okay. And, and everyone's like, that will never happen. I go, you never know. You never know what the universe is going to do. You never know. Um, because I have 
many family members that are doctors and they have, they've, they've done it. And, and I'm like, how was it? They're like, well, it is to be a doctor is one thing to understand the human body and how everything is connected and how it functions is a whole different excitement. And they have gotten me excited where I'm a marketing person. I'm not a doctor, but I love everything about what you do, how you do it, why you do it. Um, when you decided to go this route, what was the, the highs and the lows of cardiology? So now, you know, this is your path. This is what you've been doing. Like I go, you've had a very unique route to get to this one path or the highs and the lows, because there's so many individuals that are deciding on medical school. They're deciding on what specialty, um, there's, especially in the States, there's just, it, it sounds glamorous to be a doctor, but they don't really understand the hard work that's behind it. Where, where are the highs? And again, once you're in it, now you've gone the entire path, you're here. What were the good times and what were the bad times of being a cardiologist at the time for you? Look, I think that's a, that's an interesting question. And, and for people who are listening, who might be thinking about going into medicine, I'd love to share my thoughts on that because it is important to understand what you're getting into. I, during my training time, I have to confess that I maybe didn't have the best attitude all the time. And, and my slogan during that period, during the advanced training, uh, the specialty training, my um, slogan was smart enough to get in, dumb enough to do it, uh, which, which is not particularly positive. <laughs> it's realistic, though. And really, that was because so much was expected from us. We, as anyone who's gone through specialist training, you're up first thing in the morning, you're doing the rounds, you're often on the wards before the consultants are there. Uh, there's everyone pressuring you, asking for this and asking for that. When you finish at the end of the day, you've then got your study to do so that you can pass the exams that you're working towards. And I can clearly remember just that sense of everyone taking from me. And um, as a medical registrar, so that's someone who worked on one of the medical units, um, senior but not a consultant, I can remember one day walking into the accident emergency department of my hospital and um, as soon as I walked in, someone goes, oh, Warwick, I need to see you before you go. And then, oh, someone else pops their head up. Oh, Warwick, can I see you before you go? And like six people. All right, all right. So, and this was like six patients that I'd have to see. This is like 10 o'clock in the morning. Each patient takes about an hour to work up. And I was, I was like, I was, I can't do this, right? I was getting, um, I found myself getting resentful that people were dumping stuff on me, right? I found, I found a resentment, which, which, which was terrible. And that lasted for some time during my, my training until it really, and, and, and that day, that morning was perhaps the, um, well, the crux of it, I guess, when I really, I had a conversation with myself and said, you, you've got to reframe this. You've, these people are not dumping on you. The, the process is one of actually privilege that they're asking your opinion and your help. And um, look, I turned it around from that, actually. I actually saw that when people asked me for my opinion or advice, that was, well, that's that's a compliment, actually. 
Um, and and I was able to find a far more, well, find a, a much more realistic and positive spin on that work coming at me. The, the corollary of that is that, you know, I did get through training without problems, got into uh, private practice. And I have to say that after about five years of private practice, the the penny dropped for me and it came together. And I realised that what we do is far more than just medical advice. And we really have the chance to uh, make a real and meaningful difference in people's lives on a daily basis. You definitely nailed it on that one. Um, I love the answer. The answer was fantastic. People assume when they go into something, they have to love it. And they don't understand that it's an emotional roller coaster when you're actually in the training, when you're learning something, it's like, it's frustrating, but you said it so well, where people are coming, 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 coming to me. You're like, whoa. And then when you had that aha moment of wait, they're coming to me as a, as a compliment. It is like, it's a beyond, I mean, it's an overwhelming compliment because they're coming to you, not other people. And so bravo for you, not only um, taking on the task of spending all those days and being frustrated, but not saying no, but also realizing I'm working really hard to do something that people really need. So I do love that about me. Um, cardiology, the heart, um, that beautiful muscle, that beautiful, beautiful muscle of ours um, is untapped in two people. So heart attacks, usually, especially in the States, I don't know the numbers in Australia, you're going to have to like educate me on this one. Um, when we're talking about heart attacks, we think about men men having heart attacks all the time. And as a woman, we hear about how it's a silent killer for women because we take care of, we're taking care of things, family, friends, work, we're taking care of things and, and the side effects are not the same thing. So women don't take care of it. We take care of our weights. We take care of like, you know, if we break out of acne, if we have stomach issues. There are things that are very apparent and women don't focus on that. So when people are thinking about the heart, again, one of the most by far the most important muscle that we have in our body, people are ignoring it. Why do you feel you're in this world? Why do you feel that women particularly ignore it? But even men, men feel like, oh, I feel something. And then when it's too late, it's too late. So why do you think that people will take care of a paper cut? They'll take care of, you know, like every other limb on their body, but the heart, the most important muscle is ignored so much. Look, I, that's that's a question that I've been wrestling with for the last decade, actually, <laughs> and, and, and that that's, that very question and the solution to that question is why I'm here. Uh, there is there's a real, I think there's a lack of awareness, there's a, a lack of education, there's a lack of volition, there's a lack of support, there's a lack of understanding, and it. It beggars belief. I don't understand why we are not more proactive. The very reason that I put together the Healthy Heart Network was based on my own experience um, where I was literally involved in the roadside resuscitation of a man during a fun run who I'd subsequently found out I'd seen him as a patient some 18 months earlier, reassuring him that he was well. So I'd... I capitulated, realising that this man who I'd reassured dropped dead in a fun run. Now, this is, is catastrophic. 
but it led me down a path really to try and better understand how we can be more precise about predicting risk of heart attack in men and women. Well, the answer is we can image or scan the heart arteries, just like you might do a mammogram to check for uh, breast cancer, bit like you might get a skin check to check for cancer. We can scan the heart looking for evidence of problems within the arteries, but we're not doing it. <laughs> and, and, and why are we doing it? Honestly, Jody, I don't know. It's, I think it's a lack of education. It's a lack of awareness. And there's a mind shift that's required because if I said to you, do you get your car serviced on a regular basis? Yeah. You'd go, yeah, of course Absolutely. I do. Yeah. Do you take your car to get serviced while it's still running well or do you wait for it to break down before you get it serviced? Well, you take it while it's still running well because you'd rather maintenance than tow truck. And if I say to you, well, what about your heart, Jody? Um, have you had that checked? 99.9% .9 of people will opt for a tow truck mentality. I feel fine, therefore my heart must be fine. I'll fix it if something goes wrong and I can't. I can't understand that disconnect. And that's, in fact, one of the drivers for why I've produced books and the Healthy Heart Network. But, but, but the thing is, the analogy is good to a point because I, if I hear a noise, I mean, I have a, I have a, I mean, I have a, I have an, an Audi. I'm like, I was going to say, I go, I was like dancing around. I, I, I drive an Audi um, and my car purrs. She's like, she's my baby. That's Kayama. <laughs> um, and so she first, but when she makes a noise, I know it because it's like seamless. She makes no noise. So when it's a little noise, I know when I go right to the shop. I mean, like something's going on and they play that game like, well, what can you replicate the noise? I'm like, don't play the game. My car is making a noise. I know it. Our hearts, it's different. If I'm having an anxiety attack, if I'm off of like, if I just came back from a run, your heart is, it's beating and you're like, it's beating whether it's like a, it's a palpitation or not, we don't know the side effects as in, if I break my leg, it's clear, it's broken. If I, my stomach hurts, it's clear, my stomach hurts. GI, whatever I mean, there are things that are very clear. With our hearts, it's a false positive, even for us, because we don't know, unless you have heart disease in your family, I think that's the reason why people ignore it so much. Well, let me... Let me put this to you. Um, I don't know much about cars, but I take my car for a regular service when it says, full stop. Yeah. What if I said to you as a, as a mechanic to keep people well, which really I'm now preventative, I have a big interest in preventative cardiology. I look after sick people, but I, I've, I've really recognised that the, the opportunity doesn't lie in fixing people when they're sick. The opportunity lies in identifying high-risk people who could get sick and preventing that in the first place. Right, and right. Gold, absolute gold. So if I said to you as a preventative cardiologist or a mechanic for your heart, Jody, I reckon most 50-year-old blokes should go and get a heart scan. Most 60-year-old women should go and get a heart scan as a 50,000 kilometre check and a 60,000 or miles in your country. <laughs> uh, um, unless there are other uh, factors that might enhance that risk, you know, like a bad family history or raised cholesterol or mm -hmm. obesity, and then those ages would come a bit earlier. Yeah. So uh, 
Jody, the, the issue is just get the car checked at 50,000 kilometres because that's when a service is due because we might find issues that are really important. Right. Same with your the male who's walking down the street, get him checked at 50 years of age mm. just to be sure, woman at 60. And you're right, women do present a little bit differently, but honestly, coronary artery disease, even in the COVID era, remains the single biggest killer of men and women. Now, everyone says, oh. Above, well, above cancer? Above cancer. Hmm. Above cancer. You've got to bundle all the cancers together, all yeah. of them, to come close to coronary disease. And people go, oh, well, you know, you've got to die from something. That's true. But 25% of those heart attacks that kill people are in individuals under 65 years of age. Hmm. Under 65 years of age. And I can tell you that those individuals still have a lot of life to give. There are so many people that will hear this and then they automatically, they're like, I'm getting rid of all the meats in my refrigerator. I'm going to the gym. I'm they, they just go to the far right or the far left. What is realistic? I go, so let's talk about what you do now in regards of preventative is great if someone really can do it because people say, I'm going to do some preventative things. It's usually at the beginning of the year and they change and dump everything. And then by March, April, they're back to their own routine. So how does one change their ways for the better, but for it to stay part of their life versus uh, it's a nice to have. Basically what I'm saying, how do we create a way where this is a need to have, not a nice to have? Yeah, look, I, I think there's a couple of questions there and, and I'll negotiate those in the priority that I see them, right? Mm -hmm. From my perspective, the absolute priority is what's going on in your coronary arteries, full stop. And the reason that's the priority, Jody, is that we don't fully understand coronary disease. People who are fit and well, who don't have a family history, who go to the gym, can drop dead from a heart attack. Yeah. People yeah. who are fat, overweight, diabetic and smoke may never die from a heart attack and we wonder why they get hit by a bus instead. Do you know what I mean? And so there's this, there is, for all the stuff we hear about, oh, healthy this and healthy that and that's unhealthy and that's unhealthy, all of that, I believe, just drops away when we are honest and say we don't fully understand the process in an individual. We know if we take a 1,000 people and they're all overweight or high cholesterol or smoke versus 1,000 people who don't have high cholesterol or uh, hypertension or smoke and compare those two, that one group will have less heart attacks than the other. Mm -hmm. But not all the people in the high-risk group will have heart attacks and some of the people in the low-risk group will have heart attacks. And so while we can't identify by looking on the outside at someone's characteristics, then my priority is to actually look at their arteries. Is there something going on in the arteries? Yes or no? Mm -hmm. If no, fantastic. Let's deal with you know, lifestyle issues, make sure you're, you know, not overweight, eating well, exercising, you're not too stressed, all these sensible things, eat and enjoy a Mediterranean diet. All that's just, that's just everyone knows to do that. Mm -hmm. If we do find issues in the arteries, then we want to know these uh, mild, moderate or severe and then match the therapy and the intervention for that individual based on what's going on in them. I think that that data starts the appropriate conversation. 
Otherwise, there's no focus. Um, otherwise, you're just saying, oh, look, be healthy and look after yourself. And of course, we all know that. And that comes into a, then really leads into a second sort of area, which is one of motivation, personal goals, expectations, which is, which I personally think is much easier to engage with once you're able to share with someone what's going on in their heart. Does that answer that question a bit? I've deconstructed it and turned it around a bit. No, I, I love it because I am, um, uh, my MA is to throw tons of things at you. And for and for people, they're like, just talk. I want you to talk. This is your time. So yes, you answered it very well. But one thing you didn't touch upon is different countries have different rules. So meaning that in the States, as you probably know, as everyone talks about, medical care is expensive, through the roof expensive. And so to advocate for yourself is very hard because doctors don't want to have to deal with insurances that the insurance company will not pay for a certain test. So they see something in you, I go, or if I'm advocating for something like I need this test and they're like, well, let's try this, this, and this, and this. So they'll have you try so many things that are low graded to actually be able to get to before they even touch the high graded thing. So how does one advocate for themselves where you're saying, get that, I love it. Okay, this is good. Hold, wait, hold the book. So, so an individual is, I just want to get the, I want to get the checkup. I, it's a 50,000 um, miles. 60,000 miles. I yeah. want to do all, all the things. And I'll use the example of my ear was bothering me a couple of years back. And I went and I'm like, I, go, I like to get an eye and ear. They check your eyes. They're like, I go, you're an adult. We don't check ears for adults. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, you're an adult. No one does that. I'm like, surprise me. I would like to get my ears checked, please. And it, it ended up, I had, a, I had something in my ear tunnel that they wouldn't have seen if they didn't do the full test. And I'm like, why am I fighting so hard for me? It's great that I'm fighting so hard for me, but and, and because I have lots of relatives that are in the medical world, they're like, fight, get in there, ask for this specific test. But why? I think that more and more people are getting away from getting these tests because they're like, I go, the doctor won't give it to me anyway. My insurance won't pay for it anyway in the States. So in other countries, obviously, it's much easier. Medical care is free in a lot of countries. So can you please now bring up the book in regards of how does one even advocate for themselves when it comes to the heart? Yeah, look, um, <laughs> we didn't even uh, script this, but that is a that is the. Oh, I couldn't ask for a better. Uh, you segment. know what? I, I'm a dangerous ten year old on a good day. I will ask questions no matter what. So um, you've really introduced this in a way that I couldn't possibly have asked for to be any better. Uh, my journey in prevention really led me to um, in engaging and starting to utilize this testing where we scan the heart. And that was a, a decade or more ago. I got a lot of pushback in my local uh, medical community for doing that because, oh, we don't do that. And we do treadmill tests on people. And, you know, this is, you know, hocus pocus. And in fact, that pushback is the same right across the world. And I've got colleagues in the US who I've you know, worked with who have been pushed back. And it's partly because science appreciates the status quo and change is always painful. That's that's the bottom line. I got very distressed about the technology available to image the arteries being underutilised. And when people went to their doctor and said, I want a heart check, they would be put on a treadmill test. And there's all sorts of reasons why a treadmill test just doesn't tell us 
the health of the arteries. It tells us if there's a tight narrowing, but that's very late in the process. What you really want to know is the health of the arteries way before you get a tight restriction. Mm-hmm. And so in my local town, I know patients were going to my colleagues and being given treadmill tests to evaluate their risk of a heart attack, which really satisfied the cardiologist's business model, but it didn't answer the patient's question. What's the health of my arteries? And in fact, the very man who I told you about before, the fun runner, I'd done a treadmill test on him 18 months earlier. Now, that was back in 2003, And at the time, we didn't have any other technology. So I'd done a reasonable test and the guy did have some symptoms. So I'd done a reasonable test at the time. But my experience with that man led me to realise we should be imaging the arteries as a priority to know the health of the arteries, number one. Mm -hmm. And so although I never thought I'd write a book because I could barely ever get a pass on an essay at school, (laughs) true story, I uh, ended up writing a book and uh, this is called Know Your Real Risk of Heart Attack. And it's written to empower individual patients who read the book to know what to ask for and why. So when they go to their doctor, they can say, I'd like this and for this reason and that reason. And but, this test- but wait, but, but, but this is the thing. You go to the doctor And then you start coming up with all these different things. And they're like, did you just Google that? And it's a frustration for the wrong doctors. For the wrong doctors, they get frustrated, they get flustered, they get so aggravated with you. And then they they just rush about. So how do you approach, like, how do you even approach someone that's willing to listen to you? Well, look, I just basically would say to a patient who has this book, take the book in with you and say, I just like to get one of these scans. Here's the book. Um, if you want more background, I can lend it to you, or you could go and borrow one from the library, or you can go and buy your own copy and read it. Um, this is a very, it's a detailed but easy to access description of how we understand risk in heart attack and why we would image someone's arteries. And the scan, the actual, the mammogram of the heart, the CT scan of the heart, it's a few hundred bucks. It's not an expensive test. And in, in- in, in Australia, but... Across the world, across the world. And so the very the very reason that, you know, the, a driver for getting this cheap test done is, is the cost of medical care in the States. You know, why wouldn't you invest a small amount to be well ahead of the game in terms of costs with medical care down the line? A several hundred dollar mm-hmm. test to put you on statins and aspirin, which cost almost nothing these days, mm. when an event, a, a tow truck moment, you know, you, you can't get out of a heart attack for less than fifty dollars to $100,000, yeah. let alone the, the potential loss of your life. Um, I love how you said that because it's true. I mean, it is, it is so surprising to me how um, you ask for tests or your doctor is trying to get you a test because they're like, if we don't do this, this person's going to come back and we're going to spend so much more. I go, we don't, I don't understand this. This entire concept of not taking care of the individual right now and nipping the paper cut before it becomes a bigger cut. It's just like that whole entire, that little nip in your car window. We're going to, we're just, we're just going to keep using car analogies, the little nick in your car window. And all of a sudden you just ignore it and becomes a spider web. And then of course it breaks, which is great. 
The, um, reason we use car, the reason we use car analogies is it fits with hearts and yeah. it fits with what people understand. And we are so trained and we are so in the space of understanding that if we look after our car, it will look after us. And so it's a really, it's a really good analogy. And in fact, the car engine really relates to the heart. There's an electrical system, which, you know, is the ignition and timing. And in the heart, that's the ECG and the electrical signal to the heart. There's pistons and valves, the engine block. And in the heart, there's a a muscle and valves. And in the uh, car engine, there's fuel lines. And in the heart, there's arteries providing that fuel. So it's a beautiful um, analogy, actually, because most people can relate to it. During the pandemic, I mean, mind you, in Australia, I mean, you guys have gone open, close, open, close, I and mean, you've been very, very strict in regards of keeping the world away. And I know I, I received messaging that Australia is going to be open to tourism soon. Um, how is it for you in regards of with everything locked down, people focusing on COVID, not focusing on any other health care? What were the numbers for you in regards of people just ignoring their health? I mean, a lot of people just chose to, I mean, they were afraid to leave their houses, but how was it for you in Australia, as well as watching the entire world where there's a, just screaming to people, there are other healthcare things that we have to focus on and we're not. So how was that for you at the hospital with your patients just overall for the country? Look, uh, on a, on a national basis, I haven't kept up with that data, but there's no question that information has come through suggesting that things like uh, screening for cancers, regular tests for hearts that should have been undertaken have been put aside and there's been a detrimental effect for that. Uh, locally in our community down here in Tasmania, we, we really got through this crisis surprisingly well, I think. We've been... Mm-hmm. You know, we've had to wear masks and so forth, but to a large degree, life, you know, we had several weeks of lockdown in the last mm-hmm. two years, which stopped everything. But gee whiz, you know, we are surely blessed down here. And so I don't think there's been detrimental effect locally in my own practice. I think most patients have still been able to uh, continue with the care that they need. And we've been able to provide care over the phone, which is a a really nice um, option to allow you to continue to connect with people and make sure you're not missing problems. I've been as busy during this time as I've ever been. So um, l- personally, uh, I don't think we've we've dropped the ball locally, but I know across Australia and in other uh, regions, particularly I'm sure in parts of the States and uh, Europe, that... COVID has really pushed aside appropriate maintenance. And of course, there'll, there'll be consequences from that. Why did you decide to like create, I mean, I, the education part is definitely it, but you were doing fine. You're a, cardio, you're a cardio, cardiologist, you have your, your patients. You could have just gone through life until retirement. Why did you decide to create these products? I should say products, <laughs> books, videos. I mean, but like, it's true. Like there's a lot of people that just like, they write papers, they get like, they get, I mean, they teach. You could have gone so many different routes of the traditional way of what doctors do. Why did you decide to do this? Yeah, it's funny. I ask myself that all the time as well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's been, I get a lot of flack from my colleagues. They think I'm a black sheep. Um, uh, They think I'm crazy. Uh, It's it's been a huge investment of time and money. Um, And to be honest, um, 
it, it's ended up being a journey uh, that I've continued to just follow the road, wondering where it'll go. I, I guess when I wrote that first book, um, I did it because I thought it was the right thing to do. And I really wanted to put good information in individuals' hands. And, um, and the feedback I had from that was, was moving, actually. And so although the book initially was not a financial, it was a financial disaster, I'll be honest with you. Uh, it was a financial disaster. But I had people from outside of my community contact me and thank me for the difference that book made in their lives. I had someone from Borneo um, in, you know, southeastern Asia, a big island in southeast Asia, write to me and say, your book saved my husband's life. We read it. We went and got the scan. His uh, heart was, uh, we didn't know, but his heart showed significant risk and we were able to put strategies in place. Yeah, I had an interview with someone not dissimilar to this, with a lady in Queensland, uh, which is the other end of yep. Australia. Mm -hmm. And before we started, she said, Warwick, just before we start recording, I want to let you know that I, I got hold of your book as part of my research before we spoke. And, and I shared it around the family and it's made a big difference to one of uh, our family members. So thank you. And I'm like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's incredible. You know, like I'm like, oh, tear up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it's... You put it out there. It's a wonderful. So, so for better or worse, I thought there's got to be something in helping educate people. For those people who really want good information, who want to be, who have some ownership in their own healthcare. And my experience over the years is the more, the better educated patients get better healthcare, the more an individual is engaged and understands, the better the care they get. So if you can see behind me, I've gone on, I've written a couple of other books as well. And we back those up with courses to help people just get more information. And there's no, no question that good healthcare isn't just the doctor telling a patient what to do. It involves a two-way stream. The patient knowing and understanding and being engaged makes a huge difference. So, so I've sort of evolved into this, and I'm still evolving, actually, Jody. Still I love evolving. this. All right, so I, I know I have very limited time for you, so I have two more questions, um, and it's all dependent on how you answer how long they're going to be. Number one, there are a lot of individuals in any industry, like whether you're a doctor, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're an engineer, um, whether you're a construction worker, keepers of knowledge, keepers of so much knowledge, um, you converted that knowledge to sharing through your books. Um, how does one start? Like if you're, if, ever, if someone's listening to you right now, they're thinking the same thing I, as most, where like you could, just you could just written something in a journal, a medical journal and call it a day. Um, where does one start? I mean, when, where do you start? Because you have a lot of materials behind you. Um, that's a lot of, of all that knowledge in your in your head coming out. Where does one start with taking all their expertise and putting it down on the book? What was your strategy? Look, I thought about, uh, so you're asking me, how did I write a book? Yeah. Because a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge, they are seeing this and they're like, I think I could do it, but oh no, too overwhelmed. Yeah. So what, what, you, let's talk about your first book when you decided to do it, but now you've done multiple. Yeah, first book was a bit of a rant to a large degree, but 
the way I the way I approached it was I thought of it in logical steps and reflected what I would go through if I could in a consultation with an individual. And so I thought, how would I guide someone through this process if they were my patient sitting in front of me? So a bit of a chat, maybe a story. Here's a little bit of background. This is where why, how that background ties into uh, some facts. And this is how we act with those facts. And this is the conclusion. So I really just worked through a systematic process. And I think most, you just have to think about how the conversation would go if you wanted yep. to share something. With the first book, I basically dictated it uh, chapter by chapter, um, worked it up a little. And then I got a co-writer to help me take if you like the verbal word and turn it into a written word, because they're often two different things. Mm -hmm. um, and that co-writer uh, who I've got the highest regard for, um, we would honestly not meet uh, in any other universe, but we've come together. We are sort of oil and water, but we work together perfectly well. Uh, Penny is, um, is very meticulous, very organised, very structured, and I'm all over the place and I probably drive her nuts and she drives me nuts and it's wonderful because the two of us bring together uh, different qualities that mean that we produce something, I think, that's really fantastic for... Um, uh, the end result is fantastic and we we make these complex things accessible to average people anyone actually so um so that's sort of what i that's sort of what i've done i've and more recently i've done the books as the chapters as videos nice and, and those videos get sent to penny those videos also can be used uh, or repurposed for social media that's perfect oh my god i love it bravo okay so Again, I'm like, I'm so panicking when I have to like leave you, let you go. But I know this is not going to be the last time because you have such a beautiful spirit that I'm like, I need to have you back on other things. Because like, um, I always say like, I go, in order to, um, in order to get the, the right news, why do we depend on academics? Why do we not just use the individuals that are doing it every single day? And there's always something that out there where as a former media, TV and radio producer, I always had my resources of people and I'd rather come to you with big questions that are out there than someone that's like in the news all the time, giving you the accolades that you deserve. So what I'm just going to say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, and Warwick, I, I end the questions, the interviews the same way as no matter how many times you're on, I will always end it the same exact way by asking if you had a personal ask and a professional ask of anyone that's listening to me right now, what will be your personal ask and what will be your professional ask? Because we ask for our businesses, but we never ask for ourselves. Look, um, I think my personal ask, and I'll, I'll stick to cardiology, my personal ask would be that the work I'm putting into education uh, makes a difference and I become aware of that difference. The, uh, this, I literally did have someone write to me from another country um, and say it, my book made a difference. It's like, it's insane. <laughs> I like that just... I love that. So, you know, who cares if it has made a, made any money? You know, it's made a difference. So um, 
oh, a bit emotional saying that. So my personal ask is is the, is just some feedback to know I've made a, a positive difference for people. Uh, professionally, I would love to be able to combine my clinical work with this educational work, and I would love the the um, the books, the material, and even sort of public speaking opportunities to be able to provide enough uh, financially so that I can uh, have a foot in both worlds because I, I really so, I think there's such a lot of value in, in giving people good education. There's such a lot of confusion. Dr. Google uh, has not just been an information superhighway. It's been a quagmire and it confuses people. Um, and so really professionally, I would love to see the Healthy Heart Network um, be successful enough to allow me choices to really push it even harder. You are beautiful. And I mean, literally you are, I mean, and I, this, just talking to you just like confirms, I, if I literally wasn't away from my family, I would have never left Australia because your heart is huge and your country is phenomenal. You are doing such great work. I appreciate it every single day because again, I come from a family of all doctors and Literally, I know how hard you work in a very hard place. I mean, stubbornness of an individual, so much noise, Dr. Google, you guys are doing such great work. And thank you for saying yes. Thank you for giving me a moment of your time just to learn about you. And what do your parents think of you now? I mean, like of everything you've done, what do they think or what have they thought? I don't know if your parents are still with us. Oh, look, um, I come from very humble background. My mum was a, a refugee uh, from wartime um, and uh, a, a European, so <laughs> she, I, she couldn't speak highly enough of me. <laughs> so uh, very proud. Uh, both my parents are very proud. And and um, it's really, they really set the scene, you know, a good work ethic, um, integrity, um, gratitude, humility. I love it. Oh, you're awesome. Okay. It's early in the morning. No, 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 we don't get, no, we no. I was going to say, no, like, I'll, I'll start to cry too. So no, 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 it's all good. Um, you go enjoy your morning. It is bright and early. It is. What time is it there right now? Uh, it's coming up to seven o'clock actually. It's not seven, too bad. 7am. Seven, 7 so, uh, and I see the sun is shining. And so, Go enjoy your Saturday. It's oh, look at that! Just beautiful. Yeah, no, it's a nice day. Yeah, so I, so now I have to like go, now I have to go call my girlfriend Melissa, okay? Because Melissa is like again because well yeah she's she's awesome. We we try to talk to each other every month, and she's the cutest thing in the world. Years and years and years of friendship, which is wonderful. Warwick, thank you, thank you, thank you so very much, and I will definitely talk to you again. Thank you so much for the opportunity to share, Jody. It's been lovely. We need to move from inertia to momentum. It's time to bring pragmatism to process. It's time to truly value prevention over cure. And it's time to change the way we think about heart attack. My presentation today is the beginning of a conversation on a continuum of change, which includes education, implementation and realisation for a better world for less deaths from heart attack. For those here, and if anyone sees this on video, my hope is that I've informed 
and encouraged you to share this conversation because the more we share this conversation, the greater the chance we can drive the change, we can shift the inertia from the bottom up because it's taking too long from the top down. It's not okay anymore to just wish upon a star and hope everything will be okay. It's time to draw a line in the sand. It's time to act and do something. Put your hand up if you feel comfortable to share what I've shared with you tonight with your family, your loved ones, your community to make a difference. Please do that. Please make a difference. Please save a life. Please go and do something positive about this. We can stop heart attack. Thank you so much for your attention. I, gen I genuinely wish you all good health and don't die from a heart attack. Good night. <laughs>